you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, all right. We're here at another episode of the Huddle and Flow podcast. I'm here with my guy, Jim Trotter. I am Steve White. Jim, we just wrapped up the final two games of week four. Two scoops on a Monday night. Of course, the Patriots-Chiefs game, which the Chiefs won, was delayed because Cam Newton tested positive for COVID. We had some delays right there. But the Chiefs win to remain undefeated. Packers beat the Falcons. Woo. The Falcons, God, beat them to cool. remain undefeated. Did you, did you sit through all of it, Steve? I did. You know why? Because you're, my a, be- sons, you're a better man than me. But how about this? So my my sons who've abandoned the Falcons now. They grew up mainly in Atlanta. They they you know they say they abandoned, but they still love the Falcons. But my middle son Romy um, had Calvin Ridley on his fantasy team. He's like he needs uh, one catch for like one yard. They threw it to him four times. They were all bad passes. I mean, all these guys never heard of her. So he's having a fit. So I was just making sure uh, he you know, was calling down. But it would be interesting to see if there were a stat for exactly how many people watch bad games simply because of their fantasy teams. They stay tuned. Oh, in. I'm. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's significant. I'm sure it's super high, man. That's, you know, that's why. Hey, one of the keys playing fantasy football is you always play a trash team that gets that you know you have guys on a bad team that gets all those fourth quarter stats like Dak is piling up. Exactly. You know, they, <laughs> that matter in fantasy exactly. football. But speaking of Dak Prescott, we are going to talk about him and how they are just a hot mess. We've got a handful of unbeaten teams, but Jim, when I look at you know when I look at the first quarter of the season since we're here now, the injuries, of course, that is the big story. Just absolute disaster um, for so many teams like the 49ers, like the Falcons, like the Eagles. Uh, it's just going like to be interesting to see how these teams push through, like the Broncos. Like how many of these teams are going to push through um, some crazy stuff, like what happened to Tyrod Taylor with the broken ribs, pain-killing injection, which opened the door now for Justin Herbert to be the, the quarterback for so long. And we've got the, the first coach firing – 
with Bill O'Brien. We're going to definitely address that hot and heavy here. When you just look back at the first four four games, first quarter of the season, what's kind of the thematic thing or a couple things that really jump out at you? Oh, for me, it's really about quarterback play. When you look at the level that a Russell Wilson is playing at, that an Aaron Rodgers is playing at, that a Patrick Mahomes is playing at, and even now a Josh Allen, who's taken a tremendous jump from a year ago. And then you also look at the at the quarterbacks who change teams and how they're performing, meaning Tom Brady down in Tampa, Phillip Rivers in Indianapolis. Um, I don't know that we've seen such a high level of QB performance to start a year by so many quarterbacks. You know, normally you would look at it and you would say Russell Wilson's an easy, an easy front runner for uh, league MVP at the quarter mark. Not so. Um, nope. Eric, Aaron Rodgers is right there. You know, Mahomes is doing his thing. And I can not forget to say, Lamar. No, no. I was going to mention Lamar. And then also Josh Allen, in my opinion, in terms of when you look at the jump that Lamar made from year one to year two, I think Josh Allen is making a similar jump in terms of his game from year two to year three. When you look at what he's doing this year in terms of how his numbers are significantly better which is a key reason why the Buffalo Bills are 4-0. Yeah, I mean, talk about quarterback play. We also have got some some oddities. I mean, Drew Brees, looks like Father Time and him are, you know, are having a serious conversation. Yeah, but um, I'm going to say this to you, Steve. When it comes to Drew Brees, as someone who has been covering him since the day he entered the league, the one thing I have learned during my time with Drew Brees is to never bet against him. No and way. I never would. I'll tell you this story about Drew. So back in 2004, the Chargers make that draft day trade to get Phillip Rivers, right? So they, they send me down. I'm covering the Chargers at that time. They send me down to do a story on Drew Brees about how he's reacting to this the next that Monday after the draft. So, you know, the players are off, but... I knew Drew would be there. I go down there. I see him in the parking lot. He says, meet me inside. We go inside. And I said, hey, I hate to do this. I got to ask you about Philip Rivers, you know, now coming to the team and what does it mean? And he looks me in the eye and without blinking, he says, this is my team. We're going to the playoffs and I'm going to the Pro Bowl. Now, mind you, they hadn't been to the playoffs, I think, in seven or eight straight years. And Philip was brought in to take Drew's job. So Drew struggles a little bit the first week against Houston, but they win. There's all this talk about whether or not Marty Schottenheimer is going to make a change. He doesn't. Drew goes off, starts playing great. Pro Bowl voting comes out. He's on the team. They're getting ready to go to the playoffs. I go to him in the locker room and I said, hey, you remember that conversation we had after the draft? And he said, yeah. I said, you know, I thought you were delusional, right? And he looked at me and he smiled and he (laughs) said, I know. And that was the point where I said, you know what? Never again will I doubt this guy. And that's why I laugh right now when all these people say, well, he can't push the ball down the field or he can't do this or he can't do that. All I know is they scored 35 straight against Detroit to come back and win on Sunday. And that's who Drew Brees is. He will find a way to get it done, even if Father Time has diminished some of his physical skills. Yeah, well said. I mean, I'll never count that dude, especially with the play caller, you know, with the way him and Sean Payton have got that synergy and they'll, they'll figure uh, things out. On the flip, Jim, I was speaking to a defensive uh, assistant coach, a position coach uh, a couple days ago. 
And he said this might be the worst tackling that he has ever seen in the NFL. We're seeing these teams are averaging, you know, the, I think there's 50, you know, the teams are averaging 30 plus points a game. Now it's like four points higher than ever. It, it's just awful. Some of the numbers that we're seeing put up. And they said the tackling is just awful. He said, even though there's a full training camp, you may not necessarily tackle guys to the ground. He fully right. blames the lack of preseason and training camp. And this is where I say a lack of preseason hurts because if you look at all the injuries, some of those backups who were playing in preseason games, they got live, they would they would have had live tackling. They would have had live game situations and some of the spatial recognition you have to have to play in the NFL. But he said the tackling overall is so woefully horrible. But you that, know this too, Steve. That, like, and yeah, he's not sure it's going to change, though. Yeah, I go back to this too, though, with tackling. I agree with you. I, I mean, teams don't practice tackling as much, particularly since um, under the CBA, the rules change where you only had so many padded practices uh, per season. But I go back to this too, Steve. Tackling is a want to thing, and when you watch games and you watch tape now, I, I see guys who aren't even attempting to wrap up. They're just looking for the big hit. So fundamentally, I would say there's an issue there. Um, do you want to make the tackle or do you want to be on the highlight reel with a big hit? And what we're seeing more and more, I believe, is we're seeing these guys wanting these big hits and players are running through them and producing big plays from it. So um, we've seen enough in the first quarter of the season where I have seen some 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 things where some guys simply aren't the want to isn't there to make the tackle that should be made. And you have to look no further than the Dallas game yep. uh, this past Sunday against Cleveland. It's a matter of want to at times. It's not about scheme. It's not about play call. It's about execution and want to. And I think some teams, have, I think a lot of teams actually have got to get back to basics when it comes to that. Goes back, goes back to practice, Jim. As a defensive player yeah. myself, Fly to the ball. No matter where it is, you fly to the ball. You're not seeing 11 hats on the ball by all these teams. You're not seeing guys. You're seeing guys trying to punch the ball loose and things like that. You know, that's another story. But just the way the defensive effort has gone and the lack of tackling, the poor tackling. Again, this coach I was speaking to said, it's going to keep up all season because guys have gotten used to it. They've gotten used to practicing like this. It's going to be an issue. We had our first coaching fire, Bill O'Brien, the 0-4 Houston Texans. They start out with a grisly schedule now, with a grisly schedule. They're not, you know, they got boat raced a couple games, but they've been in a couple games. But they dump Bill O'Brien after four games. That's a pretty quick cook by NFL standards. Um, but knowing Bill O'Brien, knowing some of the way he's rubbed the people over the past couple of years. He always won the power struggle until now. Hmm. But the timing of this, Jim, and, and what this could lead to, because we know NFL owners, once that first domino falls, now there could be some other owners who say, okay, it's time for us to pull the plug too, like maybe with the Jets or the Falcons or in Detroit. Well, you know, Steve, whenever you make a change like um, they made with Bill O'Brien this early, You've got to have somebody behind that coach that you feel can step in and at least maintain the, the club through the rest of the year. And some of these teams that we're talking about, I'm not sure that they have somebody behind the current head coach who could step in and sort of fill the void. 
So that's one thing. But the thing with Bill O'Brien, in my opinion, is that this wasn't just about this year. This has been building over the last few years. And really, for me, going back to the whole handling of the Jadavian Clowney situation and the way that it was mishandled, you know, look, he wanted the power. He got the power. But too many times he appeared to be in over his head. It looked as if he let his emotions dictate his decisions, which you should never have. And that's why I always say, and I'm a proponent of checks and balances and separation of power, there are very few um, people in this business, in my opinion, who can be both head coach and general manager. They're two distinctly different jobs. They're both extremely demanding. And sometimes you need someone else to put your ego in check or to to control your emotions. And Bill O'Brien didn't have that. And when you see this past year, um, in particular, when you get rid of a DeAndre Hopkins, who was everything for Deshaun Watson. When you go back and you look at last year, um, the 2019 season, and you don't replace him with someone comparable, man, you're asking for trouble. And we've seen that. And DeAndre goes to Arizona and he's putting up crazy numbers. And in the meantime, Deshaun is struggling to find that security blanket in Houston and hasn't found it. So uh, I'm not surprised by this. And I will say this, Steve, the other thing I'm not surprised about is how quickly the reports came out about who could be in line for that job, and mm-hmm. I know we're going to get into that. So I'll let you. Kick oh no, it let's off. go ahead. And, no, no, let's go ahead and get into it. I mean, go. Let's go ahead and get into it. No, for me, go ahead. No, no, you, start you can go right off. ahead. <laughs> no, for me, this is so 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 um, problematic because we know how the game works. You and I being in the business. So what happens is the the minute that there is an opening, all of a sudden you have agents who are now going to use the media to talk about who their guy and how he's in line for that job or he should be in line for that job. Or you have whoever is running the organization now in terms of Houston, Jack Easterby, where people are going to look to their past and where they come from. And all of a sudden start connecting dots about them wanting to bring in, in his case, being formerly of New England, bringing in Josh McDaniels and Nick Cassero and whatnot. And for me and you, I think um, this is where it gets frustrating and this is where it gets annoying and it gets irritating because here we go again, where we have now spent particularly the last two years with the NFL talking about the need for diversity and inclusion among its head coaching and GM ranks. And we're going to trot out the same old names, you know, that we hear every year and particularly among white coaches and white GMs. And, you know, it's truly infuriating because there are qualified minority candidates out there for these jobs, but we're not hearing their names yet. But you and I are going to talk about them because we need to put some of those names out there now so that people can start talking about them start vetting them and getting to know them because I'm tired of hearing the same old names every year when this happens. And look, I, I don't want to blame our brother in the media for connecting the dots. Jack Easterby was in New England. He tried to hire Nick Casario before the Patriots would not let Casario out the door. Now they might be able to do that. So then they put in Josh McDaniels. Then, like you said, this is how it goes. But Can you see me rolling my eyes, Steve? Exactly. But, but, there's, but there's never the – there's never the – 
Okay, well, what about Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City? What about Pep Hamilton, who is coaching his ass off, getting the rookie with the Chargers, Justin Herbert, playing his ass off? There's, there's never that, even knowing that there's a Rooney rule. Okay, you know, and that's uh, why you and me and Jared Bell and Kimberly Martin and Mike Jones, you know, the few black reporters who are doing this, we're screaming this from the rooftops, and it falls on deaf ears. And I will tell you this to the people listening to this, especially this early in the hiring stage, most owners have no idea like who a Pep Hamilton is or who a Tony at Elliott is, a play caller in Clemson, or you know a Champ Kelly is, a potential GM candidate in Chicago. But when they start hearing names early, early, oh, Nick Casario, Nick Casario, Nick Casario, Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels, hey, we got to talk to this guy because the media's been banging this drum for a long time. And it, it trust me, we've had, Jim, we've had people tell us this for years. It, it matters. And so, you know, this is where we, you know, you and I have already gotten the text. Like, here we go. Look, let me say this. For instance, you know, you brought up Pep Hamilton, who was a bison brother of ours, went to Howard University. Um, we keep, we always say the most important position on a team is the quarterback position. Pep Hamilton is someone who has gotten the best out of some of the best quarterbacks in this game. Um, he's had 10 consecutive years, you know, calling plays at the highest level, be it the NFL or the college game at Stanford, at Michigan. Um, he's led an offense that led the NFL in passing. You know, Andrew Luck had his best NFL season under Pep Hamilton. Justin Herbert, who we're looking at now, is playing his butt off right now. And Pep is the quarterback coach there. He's been a head coach at the XFL before it yep. folded. So, you know, look, I'm not telling anyone who to hire, but I'm saying there are people out there who deserve to be considered or at least talked to for some of these jobs. So let us help out these owners who may be looking for coaches um, and general managers going forward. So if we're talking coaches, let, let's do it this way. Let's divide it up among fresh blood, previous NFL head coaches, and guys at the college level that you may want to consider um, among diverse head coaches. So if we're talking fresh blood, guys who have never been an NFL head coach, you have to start with Eric Bieniemy. And look, if we have to give you his resume, you don't belong in this league, okay? Number two, we just talked about Pep Hamilton. Number three, Byron Leftwich is down in Tampa doing his thing with Tom Brady this year, and that offense is only going to continue to get better. We know Robert Sala in San Francisco, their defensive coordinator, is somebody who was very impressive during his interviews last year. You can talk about Chris Richard, who Sean Payton told me is somebody that if he were an owner, he would be looking at. Another guy who, who Kyle Shanahan, we know about um, him in the San Francisco and what they're doing. He speaks very highly of John Embry, their tight ends coach, who's also... Right responsible in their run game. So that's some of the fresh blood. And he and John Embry has head coaching experience at the collegiate level. So those are guys you may want to just look at and say, hmm, let me check them out. If we're talking previous coaches, these are easy. Jim Caldwell, Marvin Lewis, Herm Edwards, Leslie Frazier, now the defensive coordinator in Buffalo, and Buffalo's off to a 4-0 start. Those are guys you might want to look at. At the collegiate level, David Shaw at Stanford, every year people say, he needs to be in the NFL, but no one's been able to lure, lure him away from Stanford. Michael Loxie, if you want offense, this guy knows offense, the Maryland head coach. And then also you have guys like James Franklin, you know, at Penn, right. State. Penn State. Every place he has been, he's done well. So 
These are some names, let me just throw out there and you can add to the list, that I think people should at least be taking a look at. Yeah, and again, you, you, you talk about Tony Elliott, the play caller at Clemson. How many people even know Clemson's play caller like the past three or four years has been black, even Tony Elliott? Mm-hmm. He's dialing up Deshaun Watson. He is dialing up Trevor Lawrence. You know, some teams have sniffed around him and, you know, they're afraid he doesn't want to leave Clemson. But make it worth his while. It can happen. You know, Matt Rule jumped. Cliff Kingsbury jumped. Well, I mean, he probably was going to jump at anything. I'm pretty sure he was unemployed or was working at USC or someplace as a coordinator. But um, And see, this Josh is the Gattis, thing, Steve. No, hang on. I'm, I'm going to let you get back to your names. But this is one of the things that, that infuriates me is how the goalposts are, seem to always be moved when it comes to minority coaches. So people say, well, some some teams say, well, we want someone with some experience who, who's at least been a coordinator and whatnot. But look at the Bengals. They went out and hired Zach Taylor, who had, you know, was not a coordinator. He was a QB coach with the Rams. You know, Arizona hired Kingsbury off of the street, basically. I know he had taken the job at USC, but he had been let go after not succeeding at Texas Tech. And then even Green Bay goes out and hires Matt LaFleur, who's coming off a season where his offense ranked 27th in the league, but they wanted someone with ties to that Shanahan offense. So all I'm saying is you can make all the excuses you want for why you're not hiring diverse candidates, and none of them wash, with no. me at least. No, I mean, yeah, we, we've... We've been there. I mean, we, we've heard we've heard the excuses. We continue to hear the excuses, and they don't wash. But then let's also look at some of the personnel people, right? So we want to get general managers in there. We want to get people who can develop to be presidents because team presidents have the ear of the owners who make some of these decisions. Guys like Martin Mayhew, okay, Champ Kelly, as I mentioned, from the Chicago Bears. Um, Jerry Reese. You know, he, he's out there. He's got two Super Bowls in his pocket. Boy, the Giants, they hated him when they, when they pushed him out the door, but I bet you they wouldn't mind having him back right now. There are so many qualified people, Jim. We've, we've done these summits. We've done this, these symposiums where we see these people who are so qualified. My guy, Garrick McGee, who's now a counselor, uh, a consultant, I should say, down at the University of Florida, one of the most brilliant offensive minds. Lamar Jackson's OC at Louisville. He coached this guy. Why isn't this guy's brain being picked with this game-changing the way it is, and these types of quarterbacks, they don't. It even is amazing. That, that's a frustrating. They don't even interview them. No, these owners and everything. Oh, we didn't know who they are. Yeah, but you know what? And I, and I use this analogy all the time. You can tell me if that draft pick you're looking at from Southern Miss wore white shoes or black shoes with his tuxedo for his high school prom, right? right. You're doing that type of due diligence. Nobody really wants to hear um, that you don't know who a certain so candidate is. So Houston's going to hire a general manager, presumably, um, not a coach GM, but but separation of powers. So, again, let's talk about GMs that we know, diverse GMs that we know. You mentioned Martin Mayhew, great name. You mentioned Jerry Reese, great name. How about guys like Reggie McKenzie, who's a former executive of the year, took an Oakland Raiders situation. And yes, they were Oakland at that time, not Las Vegas. And where they were 31 million over the cap, had no draft choices in the first three rounds and ended up turning it into a 12 win team and became executive of the year, but ends up getting fired because John Gruden comes in and he wants his own guy. So how about Will McClay down in Dallas? He's been able to help stock that roster with some tremendous talent. 
Now let's give you some names that people might not know a lot about. So you've got Malik Boyd in Buffalo, their director of pro scouting. You know, JoJo Wooden with the Chargers. Right. Their director of player personnel is someone that people are very high on. Um, you've got Brandon Hunt, who's a coordinator of pro personnel with the Steelers. He's someone people are very his name, high his on. Name, his name's been mentioned uh, quite a bit in, in, in circles, absolutely. And well, it should. Terry Fontenot, I know you're you're high on Terry yeah, Absolutely. Fontenot. And Sean He's Payton did right by him and promoted him to right, work right alongside Jeff Ireland. Absolutely. You talked about Champ Kelly. Um, we know Morocco Brown, uh, who's the director of college scouting in Indianapolis. How about Marvin Allen, um, the assistant general manager with the Miami Dolphins, working closely with Chris Greer down there. It's another guy you should keep your name on. And then, you know, you've got Ryan Poles um, with Kansas City, who's been climbing that organization's ladder for the last few years. So there are guys out there. And again, I'm not saying that these are people who have to be hired, but I would think you have to at least be interviewing these people and picking their brains if you truly want to find the best candidates for these positions. And that has not been happening in recent years. And and real quick, Jim, something you said on the podcast last week, and, you you know, you talked about the cap hell that Reggie McKenzie got Oakland out of, and the no, non-draft pick hell he got them. Out. That's that's Houston right now. Yeah, that's Houston. Yeah. They, their first and second round draft picks are Miami's next year. You know, as part of the Laramie Tunsil Kenny Stills trade. And see that I mean, they're, the they're bereft of a lot of issues. I mean, is that really a desirable job? Yes, you've got Deshaun Watson, but you got to tear some stuff down, and then no, also you- try to acquire talent. Next year, when there's no salary cap's going to come down, so free agency, you might be hamstrung. Yeah, that's why I always say, Steve, as I said last week, every job ain't a good job. And if you were going to be hired there, if I were to be interviewed for that job, I would need some assurances from, from ownership about just how long I have to try and get that thing turned around. Because t- today, too many times, owners look at the worst to first, which we see every year. Some team go from worst to first, and they say, why can't that be us? Not only why can't that be us, but that should be us. And the expectation is there. Well, if I'm going into Houston, I'm not going in with the expectation that we're going from worst to first. That may be what my desire is, but I also have to be realistic in understanding the situation that you talked about in terms of, you know, the lack of cap space, the lack of draft picks, etc. So from my standpoint, um, if I'm not getting assurances from ownership, about just how long I have to turn that thing around, I'm not looking to go in there. And you can tell me all day that there are only 32 of those jobs in the entire world. And you know what? One thing I know when it comes to diverse candidates or diverse hires for general manager positions, once you are fired, you do not get rehired. No diverse GM has ever been rehired after being fired. Now, what does that say about what's going on in the league right now? Right. When you've got two-time Super Bowl champ like Jerry Reese sitting out there. All right, Jim, let's also kind of look at a couple other things that we're seeing in the NFL. And, and, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it because on the network and everything else, you spend too much time on it. But the NFC East, which is just a... (laughs) Just a dumpster on wheels and a hot pit of grease. Uh, three total wins in the division. The Eagles at one, two, and one are leading the division. Um, 
Look, it's never a, a great division. We know the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but you go back and you look, it's usually 10, 9 or 10 wins that wins that division, and there's not a wild card team coming out of there. Um, are, are we going to get to eight wins for the division, <laughs> division leader? Um, there's a very good chance we won't. But here's the reason I'm not, I'm not pouring gas on that fire. Because as you know, we have had too many instances where a 500 team or a sub-500 team wins its division and then is ridiculed going into the playoffs and ends up winning its first playoff game. Yes. We can talk about Seattle doing it the year they beat the defending Super Bowl champs, the Saints. Carolina did it one year. I saw the Chargers yep. be 8-8 eight and eight and beat Peyton Manning and, and the Colts. So I, I have learned my lesson not to go overboard on that. Yes, it is a dumpster fire. Yes, it is ugly. No, none of those teams will probably get to eight wins. But to say that that whoever the division champion is, is a lock to lose in the first round of the playoffs, I can't go that far yet. All, all depends on matchups. And let's remember, there's exactly. a 17 from each conference that comes exactly. in. Okay, on the flip, we got a handful of 4-0 teams. The Bills, well, and the Steelers and Titans are 3-0. Remember, they they were unbeaten. Their game got postponed because of the COVID situation with Tennessee. The Chiefs, the Packers, Seattle. Um, Jim, when you look at the unbeaten teams, I mean, which one look like keepers and guys you can sustain and looks like really the best of the unbeatens? Let's just keep it to that group. Let me say this first. Of, of all the unbeatens, the one that has surprised me most, truthfully, is Green Bay. I thought Green Bay might slide back a little bit this year, but instead they've gone the opposite direction. Aaron Rodgers is playing back at MVP level, and that's not to say that he had ever slacked off so poorly that, that you thought there was regression in his play. It's just to say that his play has been sublime through the first four games of the season. And so when you see them putting up franchise record for points through the first three, four games, um, I've been surprised by that. Having said that, if I were to pick one of these 4-0 teams or undefeated teams, let's put it that way, you know I came into the year high on Pittsburgh. Um, the fact that it sort of grew up last year without Ben Roethlisberger there, he only played six quarters, for him to come back now and be able to provide that presence on offense. Where last year they may have had the worst quarterback play in decades as I watched it last year. Um, he's that stabilizing influence. He's that future Hall of Famer. That defense grew up last year. So I really like Pittsburgh um, in terms of the undefeatist. But I will say this. I watched Buffalo against the Raiders on Sunday. That's a complete team. That's a legit that's a team. Re They're legit, a, Jim. It's a really good team. Um, but one of the more interesting numbers in terms of all these undefeated teams, Steve, for me is when you look at the Tennessee Titans, and in terms of scoring, they are a plus six, a net plus six. That's and it. To be undefeated. That is crazy to me. But maybe that speaks to their character that, you know, doesn't matter if it's a dogfight, they're in it, and they like those kind of games, and they find a way to pull it out. Um, but that's one of the more unusual numbers for me. But right now, undefeated, I'm going to say Pittsburgh. And I do like the way Green Bay is playing. I have to give Green Bay his props on both sides of the ball. That defense is playing well. And offensively, Aaron Rodgers has them going. Think about what they did, you know, Monday night 
without Devontae Adams there. You know, they haven't um, had Devontae Adams in a minute. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is sitting there throwing to players that none of us and Lazard didn't you know, play. have heard of. Yeah, Lazard exactly. didn't play, but they got the big so, tight end, the big yep. boy with three touchdowns against the Falcons. You know, and and one thing that was I thought was real interesting with uh, the Packers as well is Darius Smith gets the sack, untucks his shirt, um, rest in heaven, Brianna Taylor. I mean, these players are still keeping some of the social justice movements and messages front and center. And for him to think about it in a moment like that, you know, good recognition, good shout out. All the cameras uh, were, were on him at that point. Jim, when I look at the undefeated, so I got to go Kansas City. It was not a it was not a pretty game against the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots Hoyer was was no bueno. Um, they made a lot of mistakes, but the Chiefs' defense is, is steadily getting better. And what I saw them do against the Ravens team, I think most of us picked were gonna, was going to be Kansas City and Baltimore. When they locked in and dialed it up, they took apart the Ravens. They took them apart uh, on both sides of the ball. And so when I look at the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs moving forward, and as, much, as good as they can be, it, it's absolutely insane. Like, I love Seattle. But, man, they give up too many points, man. They they give up a lot of yards and a lot of points. They're fun to watch, but that defense scares me a little bit. You know, K.J. Wright had to be Superman last week. It's been Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams uh, the past couple weeks. But, yeah, when we're looking at the undefeateds, man, the Chiefs, here's, baby. Here's my thing with the Chiefs, though, Steve. In essence, what we're saying is, would you take the Chiefs to repeat as Super Bowl champions or would you take the field? And for me, I'm going to take the field knowing that there has not been a repeat champion since 0304 with the Patriots. And, and twice now, in the first month of the seasons, I have seen the Chiefs get by and not play great football, but they've won. Theoretically, you could say they should have lost to the Chargers, if not for a rookie quarterback late in that game when the Chargers appeared to be in control, doing something that he shouldn't have done in terms of rolling one way and throwing against his body deep downfield the other to jumpstart Kansas City. It results in an interception that jumpstarts Kansas City. And then watching Kansas City take advantage of bad quarterback play by New England. I think the Chiefs are talented, no question. I think that defense is playing great. But, man, when you have to have that target on your chest for, for 16 games, I think by the end of the year it takes its toll. And that's why I'm looking at a, at, at a team outside of Kansas City to – I would say to go on and 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 dethrone the Chiefs this year. Oh, um, in there, terms there's of some teams the that aren't. Yeah, there's some teams that aren't perfect now. They're gonna they're gonna get their rhythm. That they're gonna they're gonna find their way and and get going. I mean, the Colts look like a very uh, football team. You took it, yes, Your sir. Philip Rivers. I mean, there there's some there's some teams. You know, uh, the Rams have played exceptional football. I mean, they had that great game in Buffalo, but they have played very well. Found a way on both sides of the ball. Let's go, but let's go back to the team you mentioned, the Colts. Because I really like them. And it's not because of Phillip Rivers, even though he's important. I think the most important addition they made in the offseason was DeForest Buckner. Yes, sir. When you look at them defensively now, they had a poor showing in week one against Jacksonville. Where I think they were all trying to get used to each other. Since then, they have not given up more than 11 points in a game. And they are, they are taking it two teams right now. And there is a confidence level that... You don't have to look at the numbers. You simply have to look at the bodies on the field and, and the 
the emotion that they play with, the intensity that they play with, the energy that they play with. Unlike the Cowboys against the Browns, what we saw defensively, you look at Indianapolis, you do have 11 guys going to the ball. You have yep. 11 guys wanting to make that tackle. And for me, I think that's going to be the key for them um, because I think with that offensive line, they're still going to be able to protect Phillip. They're still going to be able to run the ball, and they're not going to make it so that Phillip says, I have to win the game. So I really like the Colts right now as one of those one-win teams that they're going to be a problem. I'm sorry, the one-loss team, not one-win. One-loss teams. All right, Jim, let's project a little forward. Maybe not so much all the way to the final 12 games, but let's kind of go to the the, the halfway point, maybe a little bit beyond, and just kind of a storyline that you think could develop. You know, it may not be something, you know, that takes a team to the playoffs or whatever, but a storyline that you think we're going to be watching and it's going to really, you know, get our attention. Hmm. Well, I think the one storyline for me, and, I, and I've said this from the beginning, is the Tampa Bay Bucks, where we came in with Brady there. And I always believed they were going to start slowly and get better as the year went on. And I think we're even seeing some of that right now. So that's a club I want to watch going forward. The other one, again, um, it's the team that Tom left, and that's New England. For 11 right. years, it's had a vice grip on that AFC East. It's now two games behind the Buffalo Bills. Um, so I'm interested to see whether or not they can, you know, I don't want to say right the ship. They're two and two. Um, they were put in a tough situation Monday night. But can they rally to, to, to overtake a Buffalo team, which I think is really good and really playing with a lot of confidence at this point? I don't know. But it's something I want to see. Because, look, Steve, let's be honest. For a decade now, or more, all we've been saying is, is it Belichick or is it Brady? And Tom seems to be on his way right now. And the Patriots, Bill's not I'm doing not, a bad job, yeah, brother. I'm not, no, he's not, but they're not at that level that, that their fans are accustomed to, that his fans are accustomed to. So um, that's just going to be, you know, talk radio fodder going forward all year. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think they both acquitted themselves well, I'll tell you something I'm looking for, you know, and I've watched three of the Dolphins games, and I mean, these they play hard, man. I mean, they are, they're one of those teams, you, you, when you come out of that game, you're like, man, I don't want to play them again. I mean, they're, they play hard, but they're losing, man. I mean, they're one in three. Fitzpatrick is fun. He's got all that spunk and that, hey, let's, let's get one, one for the Gipper stuff. Come on, man. Just say it, Steve. They you, just two two in there, in there. you just I want two in, in there. You just want two in there. It may not be their week five or week six, but get him in, man. You know, this guy, he he's something about him. I know again, they may know something health-wise or or scheme-wise, he's just not ready. But you watch that Dolphins offense, and it is like, okay, okay, okay. Fitzpatrick scrambles and gets a first down. Okay, there's your spark. Okay, with two, he pop pop. He's gonna make some stuff happen. Yeah, he'll make some mistakes. But it's it's time to get that ball rolling. I mean, unless Brian Flores wants to finish six and ten, and yeah, that's an improvement from last year. But is it good enough? I mean, he may finish six and ten with Tua, but it may be progress. So I so I think this is something you know. Look, the other two rookie quarterbacks, they may not be winning a bunch of games, Jim, but they look pretty damn good, man. And Justin Herbert and Joey Burrow. Well, they're getting experience, which is going to bode yep. well for them going forward. Because as you know, 
teams want to take advantage of a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract, or I'm sorry, of a quarterback on a rookie contract. So you want to get him some experience as early as you can to try and, and, and extend that window. Um, I think we're going to see Tua, but I think Brian Flores may be stubborn enough, as he said uh, on Monday, that he's not going to be pressured into making any sort of change. And he's going to do it on his timeline when he feels his best for Tua. But I do think we're going to see Tua sooner than later at this point. Um, but these young quarterbacks, they, they've been impressive so far. You know, the thing I, you know, I was concerned about Burrow early with all the hits he was taking in terms of them throwing so much. Um, with Herbert, he's been impressive, but there's just that one or two mistakes every game. And he's got to eliminate those. And the Chargers then are in a position potentially to win a couple of games that they've now lost. But no question he has played well. Burrow has played well. Um, and I think Tua is going to play well when he gets in there as well. All right, Jim. Uh, we, we have to talk about the COVID situation. Yes. Uh, we saw what happened with the Titans. We saw that game get moved with the Steelers um, because of the outbreak that they had there. It does look like things have calmed down in that building. We know the NFL and NFLPA are investigating to see if they followed all of their protocols. Cam Newton tests positive. A.J. Terrell tests positive. Jim, the NFL was expecting some positive tests. I mean, they, they were expecting something to happen. And I, and I think the way the NFL and NFLPA have handled this so far has been fantastic. They no don't be putting you know, people in harm's way. They're doing what they have to do to make sure people are safe. Um, and, and I think, again, we've talked about the discipline that these players, coaches, and staffers have shown so far has been pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I, and I, I think we also have to give credit to the NFLPA, which has been strident in saying uh, health and safety first when it comes to our players. And the league has been on board with that, so it's been tremendous. You know, the, the, the enhanced protocols that the league announced on Monday tells you it is not playing. You know, mm -hmm. where it talks about now, uh, you're going to be monitored um, by cameras. There can be no large congregating outside of the facility, away from the facility, all those sorts of things. Um, I think a Cam Newton testing positive will get some people's attention. I think the fines that the league has already levied against coaches and clubs has gotten people's attention. I know I've heard from a couple of coaches who said it definitely got their attention when they saw those handful of coaches get those $100,000 $100, fines. So um, it's a serious situation. And, you know, truthfully speaking, Steve, I just wish that, you know, the administration, meaning the Trump administration, would show that it's taking this seriously and help set the example and and maybe we would get through this quicker um but you know what what and and i may get off topic a little bit here but it really i found it ironic that an administration that wanted to keep politics out of sport we now tonight had the trump administration use video of um 49ers receiver Ayuk hurdling a player and superimpose Trump's face on that player. So there's a message there that maybe I'm not smart enough to articulate it, but I just find a lot of irony in that, that this group that wanted to keep politics out of sport is now using sport to try and enhance its campaign. It's, um, 
I'll leave it at that before we. Hey, get they saved the Big Ten, Jim. They, they they saved the Big Ten. Oh my God. Yeah, you know, look, we're we're not afraid to talk about this stuff, people. So it is what it is, and you know, you can believe what you want to believe. We believe you mask up, you stay safe. I have seen my I have seen my 82 year old father three times in the past six months for his safety and mine. And you I, know, I have not you, seen my I haven't seen my I haven't seen my mother or father since uh, March because of this. Yeah, because I don't want to take the chance that I'm going to bring something into the house. No. So I just wish everyone would take this seriously um, and not listen to an idiot who says it's not that bad. It's take not it head that on. dangerous. Take it head yeah. on. You know, yeah, drink a 40 ounce and run into a, and drive into a parked car. There you go. You know, so anyway. What we do here at the Huddle and Flow is we always have to recognize HBCUs, Jim and I, both Howard University men, but we always have to recognize those who came before us, those who came after us, and those who walk stride by stride through history with us. And we have had uh, a couple people on here to talk about HBCUs. How you get a little bit more bang for your buck, Jim? It's not just if you attended an HBCU. What's your HBCU? or the one nearby your PWI can do for you. Here's Anquan Bolden, former NFL player and FSU graduate, and Darius Leonard, South Carolina State's talking about the importance of HBCUs and um, recruiting. At Florida State University, how much of a recruiting weapon did Bobby Bowden use FAMU <laughs> <laughs> to get players signed for the seven holes? Man, look, we, we, we used to say we go to FAM, but we play ball at State because we used to spend a lot of time, a lot of time on the yard at FAM. Um, but man, it's a it's a different experience, man. When you had an HBCU, um, and we were lucky enough, man. Fam was like five minutes away from Florida State, so we had a lot of we spent a lot of time at Fam. I had a lot of friends that I went to high school with that were at Fam, and I also had a lot of cousins um, at Fam. So I spent a lot of time at Fam. You and man, it's definitely a, a family a family type atmosphere. Darius, you and Tariq said that Howard University, known worldwide as having the best homecoming at HBCUs and all of colleges, you said NCANT has the best homecoming. Now, we, we don't know if you had a bad day or anything like that, but um, <laughs> we just want to give you an opportunity to revisit your thought on that, sir. Oh, my answer, my answer is still the same. Um, you know, like I said, um, I'm the outlier, wow. you know, you're Howard, Tariq's, North Carolina a and And I'm here outside looking in on both of them and visiting both of them. I got to go with Gio. Gio was different. North Carolina a and homecoming just be rocking. Jim. 
I'm trying to be respectful of our guests. I want to come back on one day. So I, no, you know, we, right, I right. Hard, you know? <laughs> no, we won't do that. We we just got to we got to take him back and have him. We got to go to Geo. That's what we have to do. I'm That's old, it. but I haven't That's been. It. So we so Darius has to take us down there. You know, I, I'm not having any of what Darius is talking about. All oh, you I were know nice is to, that you were nice no, to him over interview him about it, Jim. I, I know, and and I'll still be nice to him, respectful to him. You know, we we respect our HBCU brethren, but I will say this: you know, look, if if PWIs have to come on our campus to help sell a player to their school, it tells you about our greatness. And I know when I was at Howard, and I know I'm a little older than you. You would hear about the Georgetown basketball players being over on campus. And and word is that one or two of them ended up marrying two of them. Of did. I know them. Yeah. So, you know, what can I tell you? We just we kind of got it going on like that. <laughs> yeah. See, that's you know? why that's why I'm glad that uh, McCour Maker, one of the top high school prospects in the country, he came to Howard's homecoming was like, this is a wrap. Why do I need to go to Georgetown and then come over here on a humble? He turned away UCLA and Memphis and Kentucky because he came to Howard's homecoming like, okay, I'm good. You know, the NBA can find me right here. Jim, when I was at Howard, man, Alonzo Mourning and Dikembe Mutombo were always over there. You know, Georgetown superstars. Zoe married a Howard girl. Patrick Ewing married a Howard girl. Um, you know, look, we, 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 we like to help out everybody. We're all inclusive. But this uh, is what we do. I'm going to say this, Steve. If you have never attended an HBCU homecoming, do it, whether it's Howard or anywhere else. And, and I'm going to tell on myself here. So growing up in California, neither of my parents graduated high school. So I had never been on an HBCU campus before I went to Howard. And I had never been back to D.C. before I flew back to enroll in school. But when I stepped on campus for... Homecoming, it was like a religious experience, man. It was amazing. It was so, amazing. Amazing. I'm changing the, the diction on it. So I'm saying, if you've never been just once, do it. And then you can thank Steve and I after the fact. Right. I mean, my, my first homecoming there, we had Albie Shore, Heavy D, LL Cool J, Key Sweat, they were like, okay, Howard is the place to be. Now, then they started putting it on their song. They're not putting that G-Ho, North Carolina A&T business in their song. They're not talking See, yours, about their... Your, yours was better than mine because we had Angela Bofield. And I love Angela Bofield. Well, fine. You know, it's right, it's right in my lane. But we, <laughs> right. we, we, didn't, we didn't have I'll Be Sure and, and Key Sweat and whatnot. And a matter of fact, we had, um, it was Midnight Star. That was one year. Um, oh, great. But, Yes, but Steve, the part of homecoming that everyone had to be at when I was there, at least, was number one, the step show. Yep. But then number two, the fashion show. Yeah, that was it. Tell them about the fashion show. The fashion show was it. The fashion show was it. That's all I'm saying. There's a whole lot of people you saw at the fashion <laughs> show who were doing movies and, and all that Dude. stuff now, but you had the show. But when, when I was at Howard... 
we had, you know, back then our facilities weren't as good as they are now. So the football field was literally a, a, a dirt bowl. It was called a dust bowl. And I'll never forget this. It's hot as hell. And you got a dirt field. And I never forget seeing, you know, this one girl walking around in like a fur coat. Yes, you sir. Know, the track. And I'm like, okay, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. What is going on here? And then someone had to explain to me what was really happening. And it wasn't about the game or it wasn't about anything else. It was all about being seen and being in your finest. So it's just. Or she was from Detroit. Or she's from oh, Detroit because you know how I'm they not, walk I'm not touching, Yeah, I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. But I'm just saying it's, it's um, God, you think back on those memories and you can't help but smile and want to relive them all over again, even even in your 50s. So, um, yeah, I got so far off topic with this. It's not it, That's it's all right. Crazy, That's all right. Well, we, we appreciate Anquan for recognizing that Florida State had to bring its recruits over to Florida A&M to help lure them there. And, you know, of course, Darius Leonard representing. You know, it's funny, Jim, you know, our producer people, uh, one, of, one of them, Thomas Howard, is, is also Thomas Warren. Uh, Thomas Warren. Thomas Warren mm-hmm. is also a Howard graduate. And we're talking about Midnight Star, and I'll be sure. He's like, huh? <laughs> Who? <laughs> Google it. Go to Spotify or Apple where you can find this iPod, where you can find this podcast. Skirt search it, and you'll be able to find it. All right, Jim, on that note, since we took a walk down memory lane, we got to go ahead and and walk up on out of here. So we want to remind all of you, subscribe, Spotify, at Spotify Podcast, at Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Leave a review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. If you have mumbo sauce on your fried shrimp. So we can give you more. Of what you're funking funkin for. Another lyric that Thomas Warren. Thomas got to go look it Google. up. He's got to look it up. <laughs> All right. My brother from another mother, Jim Trotter, and our producer, Thomas Warren. We are the Howard Mob, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.